Greetings, everyone. Chris Hislop here from the Montana World Affairs Council. And this is What, So What, Now What? The International Affairs Program, where we dive deep into the issue of the day, connect you with an expert, and in just five short minutes, you become the expert. Today, I'm extremely pleased to be joined by Joanna Shelton again, who served as Deputy Secretary General of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris, and as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Trade Policy in the George H.W. Bush and Clinton administrations. Long affiliated with the University of Montana, Joanna teaches, lectures, and writes on economic policy issues, including a monthly column in the Missoulian. Joanna, welcome back to our show. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm happy to be here, Chris. It's good to see you. I'm so glad that you could join us. And it's extremely timely because, look, like a lot of people watching this, I've got a lot of packages coming in from Amazon and other places around the world. Um, But starting this fall, we started to hear more and more about global supply chain breakdowns. Now, I'm not exactly sure I know what this means and what effect this has on us. Could you enlighten us, please? Well, I would be happy to. Um, Basically, when you're talking about a manufacturing uh, sector, a supply chain is a network of suppliers, part suppliers, transportation modes like ships, railroads, trucks, warehouses, and other entities that get a product from point A to point B for final manufacture. Let's say parts coming from China, Korea, or Mexico to the United States. Now, supply chains can be domestic, meaning they're all located within the United States, or more commonly, they are international in nature. Um, Like a real chain, shorter can mean that they are stronger. Um, The reason is that if you have fewer links between a parts supplier and the manufacturer, there's less that can go wrong in that shorter distance. And like a real chain, a supply chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And what we've seen with COVID is that COVID has exposed many weak links in these supply chains. But it's not just COVID. Natural disasters also have exposed weaknesses, things like the fires, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, deep freezes that we have seen hit this country and other parts of the world. So Those are all um, aspects of our supply chain problems today. And Joanna, you know, so for many of us uh, who are watching the news, of course, we see things like computer chips, um, building supplies, for example. And since we're coming into the holiday season, our own packages and gifts that that we're hoping to arrive uh, so they can get under the tree. But surely um, there's more impact than just these things. So you know, beyond the kind of immediate headline, what is the impact of these global supply chain problems? Well, as you as you note, I mean, when, when the supply chains are working well, we don't notice them at all. And they've worked well for decades, but they aren't working well now. And so now we all are aware of something we never really thought about much before. Um, As you note, supply chains affect many things, including the availability of goods. It's not just the Christmas presents you're hoping to put under the Christmas tree. It's also essential things like 
personal protective equipment and medicines and other healthcare um, materials. It's things like computer chips. You mentioned that. It's things like rare earth minerals, which are essential to our electronics. Um, and so even though your teenager and your five-year-old may not agree that toys and video games are not essential, I know to them they are, there are many, many essential goods that, that are being affected by, by uh, supply chain disruption. So availability ability of goods is one. It also affects national security for the same reason that the availability of computer chips, rare earth minerals, et cetera, those feed into our advanced electronics like radar systems, fighter jets, and other military equipment. And then finally, again, we are seeing this on the ground. Disruptions in supply chains bring inflation. Um, COVID has caused a lack of supply of goods at the same time that Americans began demanding more goods like electronics and home tools, handheld tools, and things like that. So demand was rising, supply was short, and the effective prices go up. One of the reasons that used car prices are so high now is because new cars are not readily available. So that's one of the significant impacts. Um, I just want to also get a little bit more specific here and say that um, you look at how weather and how COVID have had impacts on very concrete terms. Um, about five or so years ago, I don't remember the exact date, Thailand was hit by a typhoon that caused major flooding and it shut down the world's only plant making a key component for automakers. That plant shut down for weeks and it meant that automakers in Europe, the United States, Asia couldn't produce cars or trucks. And when COVID hit, Americans stuck at home, began buying electronics and as I say, home uh, tools and th other things that all need computer chips. Automakers also need computer chips. So as demand surged for these computer chips, um, at the same time, COVID hit some of the plants making these chips in Asia, they shut down. So you had this tremendous supply problem and automakers couldn't get enough chips. Once again, they had to shut down laying off workers, buyers couldn't get new cars. And so the impact of these disruptions actually is quite large. Well, and, and I think we're all feeling it, certainly with prices, inflation, and, and what's mm -hmm. on the shelves in the stores these days. Looking ahead, Joanna, in the immediate term and maybe in the longer term, could you share with us what things we might expect? I would just I would add to this question, recalling our last conversation last year, we were talking about a post-COVID economy, and mm -hmm. you and others had mentioned the kind of deglobalization of supply chains or the regionalization of supply chains. Are we seeing that? Should we expect that? Well, yes. And let me just first say what some of the things that have been done, particularly from a governmental level to address these problems. President Biden, when he came into office, you may recall, he ordered very quickly a review of U.S. supply chains to determine how vulnerable the United States is for over-reliance on either far-flung suppliers or unfriendly suppliers of critical products. One example is 80% of our essential critical minerals are produced in China. Um, the result of this review is going to be a recommendation of changes in policies and laws. Some of that is future-oriented, so I think we can see, we can anticipate 
changes down the road in terms of how the government may try to, uh, and Congress may try to encourage U.S. manufacturers to reshore or bring more product um, production on, on into the United States. But more immediately, the Biden administration worked with the port of, of Los Angeles, which is our biggest port on the West Coast, to try and make sure it operated 24-7 and that they could get these container ships that have been stacked up there, you know, 40 at a time, 70 at a time, try and get that those containers moved out and into the rest of the country. Another um, uh, change that will have an impact, again, looking ahead, is this infrastructure bill that has just recently passed Congress. <clears throat> that is a very important uh, it represents a very important investment in our infrastructure, including ports, roads, railroads, et cetera. So that type of investment should help ease backlogs in the future, but that's future. But it's really the private companies that are going to solve the problem in the shorter term. They are the ones who operate the supply chains, so they have to um, fix it. One of the ways they're doing it um, is building in redundancy. So rather than relying on one Thai plant to produce critical parts, get two or more suppliers, whether they're in Asia or Mexico or the United States. Another is shorter distances. And this is, as you're suggesting, sort of reshoring, maybe moving some of that supply onto either North American shores or in the United States. One interesting example is uh, Ford Motor Company has had enough of these computer sh uh, shortages, and they have just launched a joint uh, project with Intel Corporation wow. to produce computer chips for Ford Motor Company in-house. Wow. So they're bringing production in-house. Um, but I think that we're not likely to see, at least in the short term, medium term, a wholesale move of production and manufacturing back to the United States. It may shift out of China and <clears throat> uh, Korea to perhaps Mexico, some to the United States. But one of the issues faced by manufacturers here is we see all the want ads around the, the yeah. job openings here is the availability of workers and the labor cost compared to other countries. So those are some of the things I think we can anticipate in the uh, near to longer term. Well, it sounds like we're not out of the woods yet, Joanna, but I will just say um, thanks to you, all of us who watch this now will be the smartest people at the holiday table when the issue comes to supply chain and we're talking with our in-laws. So Joanna Shelton, thank you so much for lending your expertise, helping us understand this issue. I want to also thank our very generous sponsors, the Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, Stockman Bank, and Allegiance, who help us bring this and many more programs to you. Joanna, thanks again. Thanks everybody for watching. Be well and happy holidays. 